What's up, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of Game Point Pod. My name is Fata, and I got my man, the myth, the legend, Yezin. Oh boy, we got lots to talk about. Oh, I would just like to um, to take the time right now to officially officially declare basketball as the greatest sport in the world. I think this weekend proved it. I think beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, no sport uh, even comes close. No one comes in second. Uh, the 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 back and forth action that we saw this weekend just to me. It really, it really put the nail in the coffin for all the other sports, man. Basketball is the greatest sport ever created, created by a Canadian. Thank you. Brought it to the States and now worldwide phenomenon. Just, just chef's kiss. Absolutely. By far. Well, I mean, the NFL, I'd probably say it's a close second, but basketball is near and near to my heart. So yeah, I definitely agree with you there. But let's dive in and dissect these amazing games that we have witnessed over the last couple of days, as well as provide some of the future outlook on the recently bounced teams. Well, enough of the intro talk right now. Let me drop this beat on your head tops. week's segment of Run That, we'll talk about my game of the year, and I'm sure lots of you share the same feeling, and that is the Milwaukee Bucks. Fear the Deer Nation. I'm feeling you guys right now, but you guys took down the Brooklyn Nets in overtime, 115-111 to at the Barclays Center. As expected, Giannis and Katie came to play, leaving it all on the line as they both dropped 40 pieces. Giannis with a 40-point, 13-rebound effort, and Katie with a 48-point, 9-rebound, and 6-assist effort. The Bucks finally get over the hump and have reached the Eastern Conference Finals since their last appearance in 2019. Let's talk about your thoughts on this absolute thriller game and where the Brooklyn Nets go from here, because despite the championship aspirations, they were clearly hurt. Talk to me, Yazin. What, what are your thoughts on this? Okay, so I have a confession to make. Um, I don't watch a lot of NBA games from start to finish, unless it's a Knicks game. Uh, you know, it, sometimes it is it is fairly time consuming, and you know, you, you know, you follow with Twitter and House of Highlights and things like. That. This was not one of those games. This was one of those games where I sat through the opening tip all the way through to the post game because I knew this game was going to live up to the billing, and that's exactly what happened. We saw a duel. For for ages, for the ages, between Giannis and Katie, both dropping 40-plus, both coming up in the clutch. I mean, this game, there were several, several times where I thought the Bucks were out of it. Like, I'm, I'm just watching it, and I go, all right, the Bucks aren't going to score here. You know, the Nets are going to come back, hit a three, and, you know, the momentum's going to swing. And there were a couple times where it was really close, and the Bucks somehow pulled through. Uh, to force overtime and then to to win in overtime, despite a really bad start to that overtime, Drew Holiday had a horrendous, horrendous game. But he's one of those guys who you know proves that perseverance pays off because despite his horrendous shooting, you know shooting like less than golly, I don't know, he was shooting less than twenty five percent at least, and then to come back and hit that clutch three to put the Bucks up, and then hitting that uh, fadeaway jumper from the right wing, I mean, you know, that put him into a position to get into overtime, and then in overtime, you know, they turned it around. It is a game of inches. You know, KD almost ended it in regulation. Um, but, my God, it just, 
just watching it, I was sweating and I was, I didn't play a minute. Uh, and it wasn't any of my teams playing and just, just enjoying this game and enjoying watching them play. My God, that might have been one of the best games I've ever watched in my entire life. Yeah, I think we owe it to the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks knowing the fact that they had a couple players that played every single minute. I feel like it was our duty as fans to watch every single minute, including commercials, including pregame, postgame, just because of the effort they put that on the floor, you know? So I definitely agree with you there in terms of the intensity of this game. There were a couple things I took away from this game. Number one, simply the calmness of the Milwaukee Bucks, despite some odd shot selections down the stretch. I mean, they didn't allow Brooklyn to pull away. And the fact that they stayed level-headed was something that I that, that caught me because typically when things get out of hand, the Milwaukee Bucks seem to be kind of flustered. But this time around, it was kind of different. And I think it was, it was as a result of my second point, which is, Giannis's aggressiveness right he was very aggressive in game seven he did not shy away from the moment which is a big difference in comparison to the early games in the series another he thing didn't to, settle yeah he, yeah, didn't, he didn't settle, settle. that was the thing they gave him three-point opportunities they gave him and you know the games that they won is when he shot a zero to very little three-pointers he would just get that switch on the pick and roll get a guy one-on-one jeff green get a landry shamit get blake griffin and just lull him to sleep, powered through, up and unders. Like, he, like they gave him a solid 10 feet on the three-point line. And he was smart enough to know, you know what, I'm not going to settle. You want to give me that space? I'm going to use that to get my first and second step. And I'm going to blow right past you to the bucket. Yeah, like he did not bite the bait. And that's the one thing I appreciate. Because usually in those type of high-leverage, intense situations, you tend to fall back to something that you're... I wouldn't say comfortable with, but more of a default option. And for him, it was to shoot the basketball rather than driving it in. But he didn't fall for the, he didn't fall for it. He decided to, you know, continue on with his A game. And that was something that I took note of that. Uh, another thing was just KD being a goddamn beast down the stretch. I mean, it's not really surprising to us by now, but somehow I just keep getting impressed with this big time shot selection and shot ability down the stretch especially the shot to tie the game and force OT. By the way, I did find it funny that there was a report recently about Katie's preferences to rock shoes one full size bigger than his normal size. And then that ultimately costed him the series to win because he literally had a toe on the line. I just found it comical. What did you really? think of that? Yeah. I'd never heard of that before. Is that true? How, how does that comfortable? How do you fill out a shoe like that? Hey man, maybe he has long toes. I had no idea to be honest. He, but he does uh, <laughs> look like he has some big. He does look like he has some big old feet. Yeah, uh, but it was, I mean, it was from Twitter. Of... It was from Twitter, so I will say it may not be true. But <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna take their word for it because obviously take Twitter it with a grain of salt. Yeah, but uh, with regards to Katie, I mean rumors of his demise were greatly exaggerated. We both witnessed him tear his Achilles, snap it right from the you know. Just snap it in two, basically, uh, in, in that Toronto series. And people thought he would never come back and be the same explosive player. And boy, were we proven wrong because he's shown that he is still one of the greatest basketball players in the world. And you know what? He's proven that he's one of the greatest of all time. Just his offensive skill set is just incredible. When you have a guy who, who's you know near seven foot, who has long arms like that, P.J. Tucker was playing this guy, I, I mean, 
like the defense he was playing was incredible. Okay, Peter Tucker is known to be a, a pest, a nuisance, and a guy who gets right up in you. And then you know, Katie's just scoring right over top of him. You know, a- any mortal man with PJ Tucker on him would probably be afraid and run away because PJ Tucker's a scary dude. But KD just took it in stride. His his length was just too much. His shot selection was incredible. His aggressiveness, he wasn't shying away. You thought maybe with the injury that he'd be a little tepid sometimes. No, not at all. He came to play. And as happy, as happy as I am for the Brooklyn Nets not winning a championship, we have to address the elephant in the room that Kyrie Irving was injured. Uh, and then had he not have been injured, this might have been a different story. Uh, they still have a couple years left together. Uh, as a trio, probably. Uh, so we're going to have to go through this every year. But, I mean, if KD can play the way KD did, it doesn't matter who's on his team. They're going to go far. And then you just add, you know, Harden, who was limp, you know, injured as well, and a healthy Kyrie. And I, I hate to say, but I think at some point within this span, they might win a championship. I'm glad it's not this year. But, boy, it's it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, no kidding. I did see a picture on Twitter where somebody paused a frame of KD versus PJ Tucker. And I think PJ Tucker was playing defense with KD on the baseline. And as KD pulled up, the person paused the TV to just kind of see the difference. And you could tell like KD's shot release is literally a foot over PJ Tucker's head while he's jumping up contesting, which clearly goes to show the advantage that KD has just with this sheer height and length to shoot over anybody that trying to guard on their will. So that was just a testament to KD's greatness. And that shocked me just kind of see, you know, at a glance, we're watching on TV in real time. Oh, PJ Tucker's playing amazing defense. And surely he is being a pest out there. But then when you actually look closely to when KD releases a shot, PJ Tucker simply has no chance to contest that shot. None. Which is so crazy. So yeah, KD being a beast, not surprising there. Another thing that I caught note of, and this is very critical compared to the Milwaukee Bucks team of the past. Drew Holiday ain't no Eric Bledsoe. He is able to hit timely shots down the stretch despite him being terrible for majority of the game. But the difference between him and Eric Bledsoe is that when he gets into a groove, he can't be stopped. And that simply happened in the fourth quarter where he propelled the Bucks into a lead late in the fourth quarter. And that's something that I found noticeable. And then in addition to that, I'm just overall impressed with the Bucks' mental toughness and willingness to hang around despite the odds stacked against them. Should be a very exciting Eastern Conference Finals, to say the least. Oh, yeah. I mean, just to, you know, to wrap things up here, two, two quick points. One on Drew Holiday. Like I said, Drew Holiday just did not waver. And that's the difference between him and Eric Bledsoe. He did not shy away from the moment. Like I said, he was shooting historically bad numbers. I was reading that, you know, in, in, a, in NBA history, he was shooting, I think, only be- below Bob Cousy as one of the worst shooting performances of all time. But didn't matter the volume. It mattered in, you know, in crunch time, hitting that three, hitting the baseline jumper, and playing defense on KD on that last possession in overtime. There was a mismatch there. We're talking about the mismatch with P.J. Tucker. There was a clear mismatch with Drew Holiday, but Drew Holiday is one of the best defenders in the league, all-NBA player, uh, all-NBA uh, team defense, and he he was able to, you know, to get KD just a little bit off to, to miss that shot. So kudos to Drew Holiday. Mike Budenholzer probably survives another season. I don't understand how they won that series without Giannis former defensive player of the year, not covering KD, but they survived. Uh, moving forward, I, you know, 
there might have to be some changes made to what you do with Giannis on defense. I know he played a lot of minutes and you don't want him exerting too much energy on offense and defense. I get that. Uh, but you got to use him in situations where he can use that length and use that all NBA team defense and all, you know, defensive player of the year prowess. I mean, you have him, you got to use him. So kudos to them. Thank you for knocking the nets out. I really appreciate it. Uh, now I can enjoy the NBA playoffs in peace, knowing that they're not going to win a championship. Uh, and I can watch the games and now enjoy each game for what it is. Hey, that's what it's all about, my friend. But now that we kind of concluded that, let's talk about the future outlook of the Brooklyn Nets. So I know you touched upon it briefly there, but just to kind of give my two cents here on the situation, I mean, we we already know the elephant in the room, and that is the big three was not fully healthy. So I think that the fact that the big three will still be intact for years to come is a good thing for the Brooklyn Nets. So there's nothing really to worry about there. They will be a free agent attraction for ring chasers that want to be able to play a role to bolster up that bench, as well as the front court, which is a need as they're lacking defensive versatility from the bench, as well as a capable big that can defend in today's NBA. I mean, DeAndre Jordan ain't going to cut it in today's NBA, but not much to really say other than the fact that they're still immediate favorites to win next year, despite being bounced out of the second round already. I'm not sure if I haven't seen that before, but it's a new day. You know, people know that the Brooklyn Nets will still be dangerous next year. And I'm sure once Vegas has their books updated, that they will still be the favorites despite being bounced out. Yeah, they'll have money crunches, obviously, with the big three. Uh, they probably won't retain Spencer Dinwiddie, who tore his ACL. Uh, he's probably going to, you know, attract some good money. Yeah, they're going to have to fill out that roster with... Uh, young guys on rookie contracts, a couple of guys that they have there, Nick Claxton, uh, you know, Alize Johnson, and, and, and ring chasers, like you said, on veterans minimum. You know, Blake Griffin will probably come back on a short deal, things like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, their outlook, probably the favorites to win again next year. We're going to have to go through this one more time, probably a couple more times, depending on how their free agency goes. But, uh, yeah, they're they're here to stay, unfortunately. Yes, sir. All right, so let's talk about the second Game 7 which is between the Philadelphia 76er and the Atlanta Hawks. Another thriller down the wire, but for the wrong reasons, of course. Despite Philly being the better team, they let Atlanta hang around, even with the poor shooting from Trey Young, who was, I think, about 3 for 18 from the field. Crucial plays have decided the game where Ben Simmons was heavily criticized for not attempting a wide-open dunk, but elected to pass to a contested Matisse Thibel, who was then fouled, only making one free throw. In addition to that, Joel Embiid's crucial turnovers down the stretch allowed the Hawks to capitalize off late-game free throws, and as a result, the Atlanta Hawks defeated the 76ers by the score of 103-96 and now advanced to their first Eastern Conference Final since 2015. What was wrong with the city of brotherly love, and who is to blame for this failure, Yazin? Oh, boy. Um, You know, as much as I hate the fact that the Atlanta Hawks uh, and, and the city of Atlanta, they know we don't see eye to eye, you know, pretty bad tirade a couple of weeks ago. Um, but with that said, I mean, I'm actually OK with them making to the Eastern Conference Finals. That that proved that they're actually a good team, uh, that they weren't a fluke, that, you know, the Knicks lost to the better team in that first round. And now I've kind of you know taken solace in that. So kudos to them. But this is all about the Philadelphia 76ers. It's not about the Atlanta Hawks. This is about the process. And, you know, this team that has been put together that simply cannot get over the hump. And where did this go wrong? You and I are probably both going to agree. It's Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons has a cap on his potential. He has a ceiling. Uh, you have a guy who, okay, look at Giannis. We're talking about Giannis here. Giannis in his early career, 
you know, uh, very similar. They both like to drive. Uh, they're both very aggressive. Uh, they're both very crafty. Uh, and Giannis can't really shoot, um, you know. And He was and able to shoot early in his career, though. Remember that? Uh, Giannis, Giannis, yeah, Giannis, Giannis, you know, Giannis had a decent jump shot, and then somehow, like, they tried to correct his form, and then it just got worse and worse over the years. Like, I don't know if you saw but the it, comparison, but it's gotten better. I will say it's gotten better. His mid range game is actually pretty good. There was a couple game, uh, a couple games in that series where his mid range game was good, and even his three point game steadily improving. Ben Simmons has not improved his jump shot at all. He's a liability out there. He's, you know, you're playing against a guy who you know you can give him five feet, ten feet from the basket. You know he's not going to score. And then the other liability is his free throws. Giannis, if we're going back to the Giannis comparison, everyone was laughing about how long he took at the line and, you know, how many. He took a lot of free throws that series, and he made a lot of free throws that series. He airballed a couple, but he made a lot of free throws. He was you know, they thought he was a liability, but he, he proved it wrong. Ben Simmons was a bona fide liability every single time he came down the court. You saw Trey Young every time he fouled him. He'd, he'd, he'd do the shooting motion as if, like, let him shoot free throws. Like, I'll, I'll, give, him, I'll give him free points at the, at the line because I know he's not going to make it. When you're a liability out there, you can't shoot the three. You're not a three-level scorer, you know, three uh, mid-range and then, uh, you know, close to the basket. And in addition to free throws, how good can you really be, right? How many times can you just drive to the basket? It's you need to have a multifaceted game. Joel Embiid is more, uh, you know, trusted from the three and from the mid range than 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 Ben Simmons was. He was hitting mid range shots Crazy. over uh, Clint Capella all series. So mm. this is goes down. This goes on Ben Simmons. Uh, I don't know what happens to him. I want to see your thoughts because you know they missed out on getting Kyle Lowry at the deadline, and look what happened. Yep, I mean the Sixers not trading for Larry is looking hella dumb right about now. But getting back to Game Seven here, it was just sad to watch. But if I want to stay honest and be true to how I feel about it, I'm simply happy the Sixers lost. Just watching them over the course of the playoffs, you could tell like just as a team, structurally speaking, they just seem flawed. And that starts with their six ten point guard and Ben Simmons. I truly believe that. He has some kind of real mental health issue because I don't know how someone could logically explain how a 6'10 elite player, and I'm quoting here, elite, doesn't attempt a wide open dunk under the basket with Danilo Gallinari behind you is beyond me. The fear and the unwillingness to shoot, I, I don't know how to describe this, like when he's on the line, seems to be a major mental block. And I don't know if this is something that could be fixed in the short term because the Sixers' windows to win is right now. Their time to contend is right now. I don't know if I can blame Doc Rivers at this point because it is his first year with the team. And I do understand he has a bad history with, you know, blowing big leads. But he does have a fraudulent star in Ben Simmons who couldn't be fixed by Brett Brown in the previous regime to begin with. So I'm not sure if Ben Simmons working on a shot this summer is good enough because that's what he's been working on every summer, and it just hasn't worked. Even if they put him in the post and push Embiid out, Embiid in that situation is sacrificing his true talent to help because hiding Ben Simmons offensively down low is what might be beneficial for Ben Simmons, but not beneficial for Joel Embiid because Joel Embiid is known to punish down low. But now that he has to stand on the outside to make Ben Simmons a little bit more useful on the offensive side simply doesn't work. To me, if I have to wrap this all up, this party is simply over. Philly's got to figure out 
a suitor for Ben Simmons, but I don't know if they can get someone in return that can push the needle. So we'll see what happens. But as of right now, Philly has a long offseason ahead of them. I think I think I blame the Philly shooting coaches because uh, we saw with Markel Fultz how they broke his jump shot. Uh, and now we've seen with Ben Simmons how they can't fix his jump shot. You know, I don't know who they are hiring down there in Philly, um, but their guards just can't shoot the ball. Seth Curry, like, was the second best player on that team by far. Uh, you know, he, he right. carried the load. Tobias Harris, uh, you know, a little inconsistent, but, you know, still was able. He was very crafty, multifaceted. Uh, ben Simmons is just not that guy. The Philadelphia 76ers need a three-level playmaker, three levels. You've got to be able to shoot the ball from all three levels. And you have a guy in Embiid, pick and roll, pick and pop, get him in the post, be a threat when he's in the post and guys want to double and they can kick it out and they rotate the ball around him. You know, you need a guy who can, can get the ball at the three-point line. People are going to have to defend him. They're going to have to get out there. And then you don't have to always just shoot the three, you know. Get a guy out coming at you very fast, you know, pivot really quickly, and now you have a mid-range shot. Now you have... A, just you have options to your game. Ben Simmons is just not that. I don't know if they trade him per se, but they are very cap strapped. That team just has a lot of people on the books. So someone has to go. And if it is someone, it's probably Ben Simmons. I'm surprised they didn't trade Simmons for Harden. I'm pretty sure that was an option and Crazy. they rejected it. Things would be very different if Harden, healthy Harden with Embiid right now, uh, you know, running the show in Philadelphia. So. Ben Simmons, I don't know where you go, but I don't know if Philly's going to want you back. Yeah, I think Ben Simmons and Philly, the chapter should be over. But I do think that Ben Simmons, you could build a team around Ben Simmons, but that's probably not going to be in Philadelphia. I can see a situation where he could be surrounded by four elite shooters and find a way to make it work, even though he has that mental gap built in him. But in terms of having a bonafide superstar in Joel Embiid on your roster, it just simply doesn't work that way. So it's going to it's gonna be a lot for Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers to figure out what they'll do to make things right. But I think Ben Simmons' days is numbered in the city of brotherly love. And and if you heard, you know, Doc Rivers and Joel Embiid post-game conference, oh, yeah, boy. They, they seem to be over Ben Simmons big time. Yeah, so that's going to be uh, another discussion for another day. But they didn't give that vote of confidence, and that's a, that's a big deal. So let's end off this chapter here, and let's talk about those Clippers who closed out the Jazz in Game 6 of the semis. Like, I still, I still can't believe this. They simply overcame a 26-point deficit to beat the Utah Jazz 131-119, to where Kawhi Leonard scored. Wait, what? Terrence Mann. I'm not sure if I'm reading this right, but Terrence Mann scored 39 points, absolutely thrashing the Utah Jazz and advancing to the Western Conference Finals for the first time in franchise history. There's a lot to unpack from this game, but so what does this say about the Jazz and their future to contend? Now, if I were to break this down here, I know exactly why LeBron and KD left out Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert as the final two picks in the All-Star game. I understand why LeBron savagely said, or savagely ask anyone if they used Utah Jazz in 2K. Now I understand why the Jazz were never taken seriously, and it's because of this moment. An opportunity to seize it when the best player in the series and Kawhi Leonard goes down with a serious injury. The Jazz were simply the better team on paper, but sure as hell got exposed. 
The first thing I want to do is give credit where credit is due, and that is the Clippers staying focused despite the large deficit. I can't believe I also have to say this too, but shout out to Coach Ty Lu for steering the ship and getting these guys to rally back and snatch the souls of the Utah Jazz. I simply think that the big issue that needs to be addressed for Utah is the play and the future role of Rudy Gobert, a.k.a. COVID-19. Bruh. Wow. The Clippers are known to be a good three-point shooting team, and the Jazz were simply exploited where they decided to go zone, and I don't know why. Rudy Gobert is simply not the guy to rotate to the corner, which is why Terrence Mann did himself a favor and hit 7 out of 10 from three-point land. In addition to that, I think Quinn Snyder made a very critical series-ending mistake starting Mike Conley, who was 1-for-8 from the field, as his play limited Joe Ingles' playing time, which he played 17 minutes. Think about this for a second. Joe Ingles has been an integral part of the Jazz success and offense in the series and only managed to play 17 minutes in an elimination game, which simply isn't going to cut it plain and simple. I personally don't know where they go from here since they committed $200 million to a guy that only blocks shots. It's going to be hard to move them even if they wanted to. I guess their only chance to run it back, but we'll see. What are your thoughts on that, man? Uh, my thoughts are, man, oh, man. Terrence, man, oh, man. Uh, as soon as Kawhi Leonard went down, everyone, it was done. They went down 2-0. They somehow managed to tie it up, and Kawhi goes down, and everyone thought it's over. But this team might be built differently without Kawhi Leonard. People, you know, we we joke about Paul George. We joke about Pandemic P. We joke about he came through. Uh, and he made other players better. And that does go a lot to say about, you know, what Ty Lue did because he was the coach there and he he trusted his guys. He trusted his rotation. And they came back from down 25 in the third quarter to win that game. I did not turn that game on until the fourth quarter. Uh, I thought they were done. I thought that goose was cooked. Um, but they were not. They came back. They had resilience. Paul George took this team, and he even said, he's like, I got to go back to those Indiana days. I got to go back to the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, Indiana Pacers, Paul George, that guy who who takes the ball uh, and does does what he wants with it and makes his teammate better. Uh, and that's the Paul George we saw. Terrence Mann, you know, former undrafted free agent or second round, late second round pick, you know, coming on 39 points. Uh, just absolutely incredible. Uh, and I think this, similar to the, you know, Philadelphia 76ers, this is not about L.A. winning. This is about Utah losing. Uh, going up 2-0, having, yeah, okay, Mike Conley was injured. But, again, you're going against a team that doesn't have Kawhi Leonard for those last two games. And they lost. Uh, so, you know, Donovan Mitchell, we were going to have that conversation on whether he's a star or a superstar. You know, that, that hurt his... That hurt his uh, his resume a little bit. Uh, my argument kind of faltered a little bit because he wasn't able to to finish the deal. Uh, Rudy Gobert, you know, I, I saw a stat that players against Rudy Gobert were shooting like over 70% in that last game. Defensive player of the year, three-time defensive player of the year, and they're shooting 70% against you? Come on, man. That's not going to cut it. This was a, a monumental collapse by the Utah Jazz. Uh, they'll be good, though. They'll be fine. You know, Mike Conley will be Hope, probably be back. I'm assuming, uh, you know, gets a chance. They were the number one seed. Again, people have to remember. Uh, and, you know, the wear and tear of the season kind of got to them a little bit. They're going to have to, you know, Jordan Clarkson came out one six man of the year. They had two six man of the year candidates in Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles. So they're okay. 
but this has got to be a just a just a punch in the gut to the confidence of that Utah Jazz team. Uh, and you know they've been bounced two years now in a row with very similar rosters. So maybe there's a little bit of a shakeup that needs to be done. Most likely role players here and there. But yeah, I mean they committed a lot of money to Mitchell and Gobert, so they're not going to have a lot of wiggle room. Yeah, they're super tight on that. And I don't know, Utah had the perfect path, I will say, out of any team to make the NBA Finals and actually winning a ring and getting that respect that they think that they deserve. But, you know, it's it's tough, man. Like, this game, I thought was going to be a Donovan Mitchell legacy game where he was able to will his team, despite being hobbled, back to a Game 7 in Utah and ultimately shutting out the Clippers. And Best player in Jazz history, according to uh, was it Stephen A. Smith. Yeah, Hello. crazy. Uh, John Stockton called, you know. I mean, he clearly was not. Although, we're not talking, you know, John Stockton's a little bit uh, iffy nowadays with his, you know, his documentary choices. You know, look that up <laughs> if you don't know. Um, but Donovan Mitchell's not the best player in jazz history just yet, clearly, because he, he wasn't able to do it. So, this might be another Stockton-Malone-Mitchell-Gobert tandem that just doesn't get over the hump and that will be a very sad history for the Utah Jazz if that's the case. Well, like they say, history surely does repeat itself. So let's hope that Utah can change that narrative and come back with a vengeance for next year. All right, so that wraps up Rundat. Let's head on over to AO Moment of the Week. AO, what the f***? I think I'm going to continue my AO Moment of the Week just piggybacking off last week's regarding the Suns fan who ultimately snuffed two Denver Nuggets fans uh, a few days Pop ago. Out. Pop and out. now becoming not only an internet sensation, but literally the mascot of the Phoenix Suns, where Devin Booker invited him to game one between the Clippers and Suns. And on top of that, he's been getting numerous pictures, autographs, fame, whatever the case may be. And he's just living life to the fullest. And let's just say I'm envious for him as a fan, to get that kind of clout and getting that recognition from players, teams, and fans across the community in Phoenix. I wish I kind of had that situation. I feel like maybe I might might have to snuff a few guys to get myself to a point where Fred Van Vliet or Masai Ujiro would recognize me and give me the fame that I surely deserve. So kudos to him. And to kind of piggyback off that as well, the Denver Nuggets fan who got snuffed had a little interview <laughs> uh, to hear his side of the story and ultimately shut down the talks of him getting obliterated. First thing he did was just try to yank. He didn't even try to soft me. But when he went to yank my chain, he scratched my nose. Okay. That's okay. how, the, before that video started already, if you look at that video, I was already bleeding on my nose. Okay, because he scratched you. Yeah, he scratched me. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Look, if you've ever been in a fight, you know, yeah, if you exactly. get soft in your nose hard one, then you're shit. You're going to have black eyes right here. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah. Obviously, I don't have black eyes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Look at me. That's just, it looks like a scratch. That's yeah, it's a scratch. It scratched my nose. Yeah. And everyone's acting like I got, like, demolished. Like, I'm like, bro, look at me. Like, he didn't even really do And he simply stated that the Suns fan who was punching him missed on 50% of his punches and only got scratched, essentially. So he was trying to die down the situation, the hype of him getting snuffed, but... The video speaks for itself, and now the Suns fan is living his best life while you're out here trying to refute all the negative talk around you. You just simply look like a simp, bud. So just take your L's, keep a humble, and shout out to the Suns fan for living life. I don't know what to think about this. So, yeah, okay, the Suns fan 
it looked like self-defense as we watched the video. It got something poured on him, got you know, someone swung at him. So, you know, I'm not here to condone violence, obviously. But I saw the videos of him in the crowd taking pictures and everyone kind of, you know, uh, snapping shots with him. And then, I don't know if you saw in the hallway, the Suns fans going after the Clippers fans. They just kept it going. Um, and I think now this has spawned a new trend of just fans fighting each other to the point where the Phoenix Suns yes. have to release a statement condemning violence and saying we do not want you guys to fight each other, please. Um, so I don't know what the Suns fan has done, um, but I feel like we're this probably set a pretty bad precedent, admittedly, uh, and we're probably going to see a lot more brawls in the Sands. Uh, shout out to that guy who got beat up and then somehow got an interview afterwards and did play-by-play on his own. Listen, let's get these two on the undercard of the next Logan Paul fight because, to me, that just seems yes, like the likely... that's what we need. That's what we need. Like, that's money right there. Both guys going to get a good payday out of it. You know, that Denver Nuggets guy gets to, you know have a chance for redemption there. I mean, we saw Chad Johnson fight, and he's never had a professional fight. Boxing has become a clown show now with, with the Paul brothers kind of running show. So put him on a card, man. Put him on a card. Like, put him, let him come in with their team's jerseys, like, you know, team-colored gloves, everything. Just just go balls to the wall, man. Let's, let's, let's see them go at it. No helmets, no nothing, you know. Let's see if that scratch was really a scratch if you just got – just bonked right on the nose because I don't believe it. I think he got, I think he got bonked pretty badly. Facts. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how I feel about this fans, but hey, listen, if you want to get famous for uh, for you know punching someone in the face, I'll volunteer to do it if that means you get famous and then we kind of split the money halfway. Like if if we want to go to the next Raptors <laughs> game and and I'll I'll wear a Knicks jersey, I'll swing at you, you box me, whatever. Like you know, just pay for my medical bills and we'll be good. We'll be straight. Hey, man, we'll definitely do that. And then vice versa, if we need to get ourselves into Madison Square Garden, sit next to Spike Lee there, by all means. Oh, I think Spike Lee will beat me up, too. Uh, and I'm a Knicks fan. <laughs> I, I don't, or if Charles Oakley might be there, too. Uh, and, you know, listen, MSG is just a madhouse, man. People fighting everybody. The owner fighting people. Legends fighting. So let's, let's keep it maybe at the ACC. It's not even called the ACC anymore. It's the Scotiabank Arena or Center. Um, so, yeah, if, if you want to do that, I mean, hey, by all means, like, take a free shot. Uh, just, you know, just throw me a little bit under the table, you know, and uh, let's, let's, get, let's get this money. You know what I'm saying? Let's get this gotcha. bread. <laughs> What's your AMO of the week? There were so many. There were so many. Um, I, I want to go on the court because there's just two that kind of come to mind. Um, one AO moment of the week, obviously, is the one we talked about. Ben Simmons, you know, just not taking that wide open dunk. Uh, they would have gone down one or they would have tied it with that dunk. But instead, they, you know... They um, took a free throw, made one out of two, and then never got the lead after that. So that was one of them. The other one, which could have been monumentally bad, was Brooke Lopez at the end of, I believe it was regulation, uh, getting the ball in the corner and just passing it out, knowing he has a full second to take a shot. And he's the taller guy. I don't understand how... Listen, I don't... Okay, yeah, the defense kind of covered him pretty good and they closed out really well. You're still seven foot. You shouldn't have to worry about getting blocked. Take that shot. Throw it to the net. Do something. Don't throw it backwards. You had a whole second. People have gotten shots off with 0.4 seconds before, you know? So that could have been like the biggest AO moment ever. That could have been enshrined in the Hall of Fame had they lost that game. But Brooke Lopez has a chance to redeem himself now in in this next series in the East Conference Finals. So you barely avoided it this time, Brooke. 
You played really well that game, but you almost screwed the pooch on the last second. I mean, come on. You have a second, man. They drew – I don't know. I don't know if they drew a play-up. I don't think they drew a play-up. I think Mike Budenholzer you know, might have taken a nap during no, that time. I think, I think it's worse. I think it's worse. I think he drew the play for Brooke Lopez. <laughs> and he just didn't execute. That's oh worse. That's ten times worse. Uh, it was bad. It was really bad. So, uh, you know, he got lucky. It's still an AO moment of the week for me because, boy – that would have been like you would have been run out of town at that point, but no you survived this time, Brooke. But don't do it again. Don't catch. Don't let me catch you trying to do that again. All right. Do not deprive of us. Do not deprive us of the greatness of Giannis Antetokounmpo. All right. Because of your dumb, dumb playmaking abilities and your shot selection. Take the shot. All right. Hey man, I think he needs to be more worried about the fact that he could potentially become a repeat offender on AM over the week. You don't want that noise. I can guarantee you, don't want you that, that much. You do not want that. All right. Russell Westbrook will tell you firsthand you do not want to be a repeat offender. Draymond Green, listen, he's he's kicking back some Mai Tais in Cancun right now. All right. But he knows he's an AO moment of the week offender and he doesn't want to be there again. Don't don't let me catch you slipping. Yeah, we're definitely gonna have to do a Hall of Fame talk one day of AO Moment of the Week once everything's all said and done. I mean, we might have to get the, the the Phoenix Suns fan on here for an interview uh, in, during his induction because he's already been here twice now. Uh, so, again, repeat offender, this is not good to be on here. Stay off of AO Moment of the Week. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty good first team all AO Moment of the Week when we do that recap end of season. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, so let's wrap it up. AO Moment of the Week, let's head on over to Games of the Week. I love this! <laughs> I thought that because the playoffs are dwindling down, let's use this as an opportunity to do a quick preview of the conference finals matchup, starting with the East, with the Atlanta Hawks squaring up against the Milwaukee Bucks. Yezin, who do you think comes out on top, and do you think it's going to be an exciting series? Man, I think it's going to be an exciting series. I think the Bucks match up really, really, really well against this team. Defensively, I mean, every single player that the the Hawks have that has some firepower can have someone, you know, defending him. You're talking about Drew Holiday on Trey Young. Uh, you're talking about uh, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo on John Collins. You're talking about P.J. Tucker on Bogdanovich. Uh, you know, you're talking about Connaughton on Herder. They're, they're a very good defensive team. Uh, Brooke Lopez and Clint Capella are going to be bodying up down low. Uh, it's not going to be easy for Clint. You saw Clint... He got he got cooked a couple times by Joel Embiid. When when you're playing against the big guy with talent, Clint Capella might have some difficulties. He didn't have that in the Knicks matchup against a kind of limpy Nerlens Noel, uh, but Embiid exposed him, and, and Lopez can do that too. But that defensive range of that Bucks team can cover everyone, and you're not you only have one superstar on there. You have Trey Young on there. But that doesn't mean you, you know you slack off. So they're going to have to really work on you know their their defensive assignments. Obviously, I'm pretty sure you're going to have Drew Holiday on Trey Young. Uh, Middleton played well against KD in some spurts. So you can put him on a herder. You can put him on a bogey. Uh, you know you have Giannis kind of rotate. PJ Tucker's kind of a five tool defender. So I think they match up really well. Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, Bucks in six here. The good old classic meme there. Gotta love it. Bucks in six. You know the vibes. Uh, I do agree with you there with regards to um, the matchup. This is highly favorable for the Milwaukee Bucks. They got defensive versatility to guard everybody on the Atlanta Hawks. In addition to that, 
the matchup between Clint Capella and Brooke Lopez, like you mentioned, Brooke Lopez is not Joel Embiid. So he's not going to be inside, which allows Clint Capella to be stretched out to the three-point line, which then allows Giannis to operate inside, which is absolutely the perfect game plan for the Milwaukee Bucks. So with that being said, uh, Drew Holiday locking up Trey Young is definitely going to be very critical. You got guys like P.J. Tucker and Chris Middleton guarding guys like Herder, Gallinari, and others. It's going to be very, very exciting, but I think it's going to be a short series. I'm giving the Hawks one game, so it's, for me, it's going to be Bucks in five. The Bucks will make their first trip to the NBA Finals since when? Since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So the seventies, cool. yes, him and the big O were the last time. Yeah. All four of these teams, none of them have been to the finals, uh, you know, in 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 decades. That's exciting. It's a new day in the NBA where you don't have the same franchise. I mean, when is the last time? I mean, we had what Cleveland who hadn't been in, to the finals. I guess they had been in the finals in 07, but they hadn't won it ever uh, when they went in, uh, in 2016. So it, it's exciting for four of these fan bases to finally get to the NBA finals. Um, so I'm excited for them. It gives me hope. It gives me hope. Yeah, no doubt. Let's head on over to the Western Conference where we got the LA Clippers squaring off against the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference matchup to have a chance to punch their ticket to the NBA Finals. Uh, for me, I think that even with the absence of Chris Paul, the Suns are pretty deep, man. It's the next man up. We already seen Cameron Payne being that spark off the bench who now has that starting role. Uh, heading into the series and then you know you have guys like cam johnson who then will be substituted in to provide a scoring punch with the three-point ability that he can display um so with that said i think that devin booker we already saw game one already i know we're jumping the gun here but he dropped the 40 point triple double which he is now considered a superstar right yazin we're oh, good there. I mean, I mean, I, we're straight there. Finally, it took a it took a while to get you on board, but he is there. He's officially there. He's arrived. He's arrived. So the Clippers, it's going to be tough without Kawhi Leonard. I know he hasn't been ruled out, but I think it's just a scare tactic to get the Phoenix Suns on their toes, just in case, quote unquote, that Kawhi Leonard would jump in. But I don't think he's going to jump in. We already know Kawhi and how well he takes care of his health. If he feels that there is even a remote chance that he can uh, worsen his injury, he's sitting out. So I think Kawhi Leonard is going to be out for that series. And with that said, I see the Suns winning in five games and punching their ticket to the NBA Finals. We will see the matchup between Chris Paul and Giannis to win it all. So that's uh, at that point, I'm rooting for whoever is going to win the championship. I like Chris Paul. I like Giannis. If one of them wins, we all win. Yeah, it depends. To me, this series depends on which superstar comes back first. Uh, and I think Paul probably comes out of protocol sooner than Kawhi Leonard uh, forces, you know, an ACL injured knee to give him, you know, another couple series. Kawhi is smart. He's he's very smart with his body. Um, you know, he, he takes the time to prep to, you know, to recover. I don't know what Paul's uh, COVID protocol is per se um but i i mean gosh i wouldn't expect him to miss the whole series i don't think uh, that, so i think it's just i'm pretty sure it's just two games maybe three games tops because he is vaccinated so i'm sure that his protocols might be a little different than someone who is not vaccinated so maybe maybe we'll see something yeah yeah so i mean 
getting out of protocol is a lot better than coming back from a, a bum ACL. I, I, of course, we don't know the nature of this ACL injury. No one has kind of really come out and said sprained ACL, slight tear in the ACL, nothing. No one has said anything. So it just says ACL injury. So very ambiguous. Don't know why. Um, but I think for that reason, you know, if Paul comes back, uh, you know, there's 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 no doubt that they win that that series. Booker's as has played incredibly. Even Aiton, I mean, there's there's not really much you can do against DeAndre Aiton. Uh, he's just too young. He's 22 years old. Uh, he's young. He's ferocious. But he's hooping. Uh, but he's hooping. You know, he was. I believe he was your most improved player of the year candidate in the beginning of the year, and honestly, could have been there. Could have been well deserved. So I think Phoenix comes out of here. You know, I I think. Yeah, five games sounds about right if Kawhi doesn't play. Um, if Kawhi does play, then maybe they can force the sixth one. Um, but I just think CP3 is going to come back, and he's motivated, man. He's never been this far. He's never touched the finals. He's never sniffed the finals. He's not coming this far to just come this far. So once he comes out of protocol, I'm sure he's going to come out like a like a bat out of hell and push this team through. So, yeah, Phoenix and Milwaukee finals. I mean, gosh, two teams that I don't think I, like, when was the last time we, that was an, even a possibility? I mean, goodness me. Um, so I hope that's the uh, the outcome. Um, I'll be happy with any any outcome. Obviously, these are four very exciting matchups, but I think we see Giannis and CP3 for the, uh, for the finals. We might be getting a little too ahead of ourselves, but I think Phoenix goes over here. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, this is going to be very exciting. And the thing is, if we were to jump the gun here and say that the Suns and Bucks will meet each other in the NBA Finals, they're well-matched, man. It's going to be a real interesting matchup. I can see that going maybe seven games. So I'm really looking forward to seeing them. Well, that's my ideal matchup. But any other matchup is going to make it fun. You know, I like the ambiguity of the NBA. You know, not seeing the same teams over and over again making the Finals. So... Very exciting times for us NBA fans. It's about damn time, as LeBron James once said. It's about <laughs> damn time. Yes, sir. All right, so that wraps up Games of the Week, and that wraps up our episode. We're going to take a pause on Blog Boy Talk probably until the off season. but thanks again for tuning into our episode. Don't forget to like, subscribe to our podcast, Game Point Pod on IG and Game Point Pod underscore on Twitter. We are both on Spotify and Apple platforms, as well as Google Podcasts. Add reviews if you can. That would be greatly appreciated. Yazin, is there anything you'd like to add before we end it off? Yeah, I, I'm kind of going through Nick's withdrawal. I, we haven't really talked about them in a long time. So I just want to say, go New York, go New York, go. And that's about it. What a homer. Even for me, I wouldn't mention anything about Raptors. But obviously, you Nick fans, kind of like Cowboys fans out here. I'd, shaking my head. How dare you compare me to a Cowboys fan? You take that back, <laughs> sir. You hey, take man. that back. I think we're going to have bring Stephen A. Smith to talk about this one. That's for sure. Stephen A. will be on my side. All right. Don't mess with my boy, Stephen A. That is probably true. That's probably true. But, yeah, let's wrap it off. With that being said, we'll end it off. That's game.